Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. May our prayers come before you, O God, as incense, and may your presence surround and fill us so that in union with all creation, we might sing your praise and love in our lives. Amen. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue with our Lenten midweek sermon series, From Ashes to Easter, Stories of Resurrection. This week we'll be looking at the Apostle Paul, also known by his Hebrew name, Saul. This is St. Paul, who wrote so many of our New Testament letters, those pastoral letters of encouragement, sometimes admonishment, to early Christian churches in places like Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome. His letters shaped those churches just as much as they have shaped our church. Paul's influence on the Western Christian church cannot be overstated. And yet... He was dead in sin when Jesus found him and needed resurrection. He wasn't contemporary. He was a contemporary of Jesus and the disciples, but he never met Jesus. And he did not trust anything he had heard about Jesus. No, Paul entered the scene after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the first of our three readings about him tonight, you'll hear why he's so desperately in need of resurrection. Our first reading is Acts 8, verses 1 through 3, and 9, 1 through 4. And Saul approved of their killing. Killing of Stephen, that is. That day, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In those anxious weeks and months after Jesus' departure, Paul had joined the ranks of synagogue authorities in Jerusalem, intent on harassing, arresting, and even stoning to death followers of Jesus. These are followers who thought that it was a better idea to feed the poor than to offer sacrifices to the temple priests. And this was a threat to the temple priest's way of life. These followers of Jesus were undermining the power of the synagogue, and so this new life, 
This new way of life had to be stopped, and Paul was exceptionally good at stopping people. He was relentless in his pursuit of Jesus' followers. Even when he was presented with evidence of the, to the contrary that these were good people and Jesus had a good message, Paul was willing to approve of terrible things. He was so helplessly inured in the culture that had raised him, that had formed and shaped his worldview, that he was single-minded in his cause. Environment, training, culture has that sort of power. It makes it hard for people to just change their mind and to do a different thing, to do the life-saving thing. It's one of the contributing factors to the Man Gulch fire disaster of 1949 that took the lives of 13 smoke jumpers in Helena, Montana. I think Mike's our only firefighter in here, so if I get this all wrong, see me after. And I will not apologize. <laughs> smoke jumpers are specially trained firefighters who parachute into remote areas to fight wildfires. So when lightning caused a wildfire to erupt in Mangulch, Montana, 15 smoke jumpers did not hesitate to parachute in to fight it. But as the team approached the fire, unexpected high winds caused the fire to suddenly expand, cutting their roach off and forcing them to flee the gulch uphill. But they struggled to run fast enough. Each of them carried pounds and pounds of firefighting equipment with them, and their training at the time did not focus between fighting a fire and fleeing a fire, meaning they didn't think to abandon the tools, seriously slowing them down as they ran uphill away from the fire. Thirteen smoke jumpers were overcome by a fire that covered 3,000 acres in 10 minutes. Investigations following laid much of the blame for their deaths on training. Their decisions were formed by their training. Their minds had been made up and changing a mind, especially in the heat of the moment, is an incredibly difficult thing. When you're defending your life, changing your mind gets even harder. What is it going to take to change Paul's mind? To combat the culture he's surrounded by? It brings us to part two of his story. Recall that Paul has been forced to the ground by this flash of light from heaven. So he asks, who are you? Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Better get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. What's it going to take to change Paul's mind? Death. That's what this three days of blindness is all about. That is tomb language. Jesus was three days dead in the tomb, fighting sin on our behalf for the sake of the whole world for those three days. So when Paul is struck blind for three days, it is nothing short of Jesus going to combat by the power of the Holy Spirit 
with a man who is dead to sin. Paul has a mindset that needs to die. In other words, what shaped him, what he believes in, the dysfunctional relationships he's surrounded by with these priests, those have to perish. That's what it takes to change a mind. At least that's what it's going to take to change Paul's mind. Divine intervention, that is how hard it is to change minds. What does it take to change ours? We are living in times where minds are incredibly resilient to change. Not only are we surrounded by a powerfully pervasive and loud culture, we have become adept at creating tiny little echo chambers within that culture. Friending and following like-minded people, unfriending and unfollowing differently-minded people, favoriting particular news stations. And as a result, we are more closed off than ever. Does anybody disagree with this? More willing than ever are we to dismiss entire groups of people, more willing to watch, as Paul did, our culture emotionally stone people to death who think differently than we do. We are living in a time when changing our mind is incredibly difficult and the results are incredibly costly to community. We need resurrection just as much as Paul does. And maybe, maybe we think, well, I am just one person. What does it matter if I stick with what I know? What is the benefit of one person overcoming the culture they're surrounded by? Well, one of the smoke jumpers of the Man Gulch disaster of 1949 did survive. And his name was Wagner Dodge. He didn't think to drop his gear so he could run faster. That wasn't the training he overcame. But what he did do was pause and turn around and face that fire raging uphill toward him. And as he considered the dry, waist-high Montana cheatgrass that he was standing in, he had a moment a realization, an idea that he could do something different. He reached into his pack, he pulled out matches, and he lit a fire to the grass at his feet. And it quickly spread away from him up toward where he was going to need to get to eventually. And by doing so, he cleared a tiny area where the fire that was coming up from behind him would have no fuel to feed on. And he called out to the other men to try to get them to join him, but they didn't understand why he was doing this, apparently. So at the last minute when he was done all he could to try to get them to come to him, he took out his handkerchief, he doused it in water from his canteen, he put it over his face, and he laid down in that charred area while fire ravaged the area around him for 15 minutes, and yet he lived unscathed. He lived by building an escape fire that no one had trained him to do, that went against everything he had learned up to that moment. He changed his mind and he lived. And that one act of changing his mind had massive impacts on fire training and fire science for decades to come. It has saved countless lives. That is the power of one mind change. The rest of Paul's story. 
Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that invokes your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. After three days of doing battle in the dark with a hopelessly entrenched mind, Jesus brought Paul resurrection and new life, a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing the world. And he did it through Ananias as well. A new way of understanding who belongs to God is what Paul was given. And that one mind that was changed has brought us some of the most powerful words of faith we have ever grasped. Words we cling to when we are lost. Words that fuel the faith of our hearts. For I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Words from Paul. A man who was totally lost. Words that we are saying for generations came from a man whose mind was resurrected from the grave. Now, I was thinking about this, what this looks like for us, and I, I got glasses at about the age of five. I was actually excited, too, because everybody in my family had glasses, so I thought it was so cool. Um, but when you're five, you just put on your glasses, and you don't think about them. You don't think about the fact that they need to be cleaned or anything like that. They just become part of your face, right? And every, every little dirty thing. So I, didn't, I don't remember cleaning my glasses. Someone must have been doing it for years. And about the age of 12, I saw my grandmother take my grandfather's glasses off from his face and say, oh my gosh, Wendell, let me clean these off for you. And she cleans them off. And I thought, never done that before. So I took my glasses off. And they were disgusting. <laughs> and I thought, I've been raised by animals. And I cleaned them off. Brothers and sisters, that is what shedding the culture that shapes us and forms us, sometimes for the worse, is all about. It's just about an awakening and a mind shift. And it can be done. And for us who need it, we look to Paul's story in the sure and certain hope that the Holy Spirit can 
and will open our minds and give us the ability and the courage to change where we need to, to extricate ourselves from this madness and put ourselves back into the community we belong in, to find release from a culture that consumes us, to see outside our echo chambers, to be set upon a new path that will open up a place not only for us, but for others who seek to know a better way. That is the power of following Jesus, a Lord who resurrects. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.